Today we are going to continue our series on the family. We got started two weeks ago and then took a break last week for the Dennis Nunn revival. And of course, even as I say, return to our series on the family... Actually, that's just a little sub-series. We've been in a series on the letter to the Ephesians since back in April. I mean, it's really starting to add up, isn't it? You probably would have never looked at a book that's only six chapters long and said it'll take him six months to get through that. But it, it has. And, uh, and we're not done yet. But uh, we're coming to a section in Ephesians now where we're going to be looking at the family. And, and two weeks ago, I started that by going to Genesis. I, I felt it'd be good for us to get a big picture to start with, with when God brought the family together, when He created, He designed that original family. What was He thinking? What was He doing? That we start with that big picture. Because now, as we come back into Ephesians, we're looking at some of the most specific, some of the most detailed instruction on each member of the family. As a matter of fact, today we're looking at the wife. Next week will be the husband. The week after that, we'll be looking at children. The week after that, parenting. And so God gives very specific instruction on each one of these. And that's what we're going to be uh, looking at as we continue our study of Ephesians. When we started two weeks ago, you might remember, we talked about all the false pictures of a husband, of a wife, of a family that the world bombards us with every single day from our friends to the workplace to the media to the culture we are daily bombarded with these false pictures and we talk about getting God's picture in front of us but think about how little God's picture is actually in front of us I mean I may be a committed Christian I may believe in the Bible I may want to follow the Bible but how often is God's picture actually in front of me you know we do a sermon series on it Every two or three years, maybe you hear something on the radio. Maybe you pick up a book on marriage or parenting and you read something. But folks, it's just here and there that we actually stop, put God's picture in front of us, and then conform our family to that. But the world is bombarding us every single day with these false pictures. And man, when we're not aware of that, it is very easy, very easy, totally committed to God and His picture, it's very easy to be drawn off course. It's very easy to get confused. And boy, the topic we come to today is certainly one of those where I think the world has so influenced that God's picture almost looks like a mistake. Because what God says to us in His Word is, Wives, you are to submit to your husbands. Gosh, that just sounds like something bad to say, doesn't it? I mean, it almost sounds like, you know, ladies, if you'll line up over here, it's time for your daily beating. I mean, submission has that kind of feel, that kind of sound to it in our culture. That is something out of Scripture that makes us sound like Neanderthals, that, you know, backwards, out of date, out of time. It just sounds wrong. And you know, it's not just the world that is saying that is wrong. There's a lot in the church that are saying that's wrong. That submission thing was a, you know, a mistake. I have had multiple times, I can't tell you how many, but a whole lot more than two or three. I've had multiple times where a Christian man has told me, you know, I love my wife. I don't, I don't push that submission thing. Is that love? Love is to not encourage and support the way of God in our home. 
But you see, that's what I'm saying. The, the world's picture has gotten so ingrained in our lives, we look at God's picture and make it sense like it's wrong. It's a mistake. That's from a male-dominated, male-chauvinistic society. Uh, you know, another time in history. You know, folks, whatever we do with this word, this idea of submission, we do got to understand this. The word didn't come from a male chauvinistic society. It didn't come from Paul. It didn't come from Jews. And it didn't come from another culture. That word came from God. I believe God's good. I believe everything God delivers to us in His Word is good. So why is it so hard to see that goodness in that Word? You know, I think there's a couple of reasons that we misunderstand this idea, this concept of submission. First of all, we don't know what Scripture actually teaches in Genesis 1.27, of course, we looked at that verse last time that we were together in the family. In Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created man in His own image, male, or He created them in the image of God, male and female, He created them. In 1 Peter 3.7, it says, Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives with understanding, showing them honor as what? Co-heirs of the grace of life. Now, why these two verses? Why do we put them side by side? Well, I think they show us a picture of the whole time continuum. If we go back all the way to the beginning, we go back to the past, we see God creating male and female. The grammatical structure of this sentence is that those two words are in a position of equality. doesn't matter which one comes first. You could switch them. Male and female, they stand before God equal. They were created by God equal. That's the grammatical structure of that sentence. We come into the present and Peter is challenging, commanding husbands, listen, you need to treat with honor your wife. She is your equal why should you do that now in the present? Because if we go over here into the future, one day, husbands, you're going to be standing before God and you're going to stand there with your wife as a co-heir. You're going to stand before Him as equals as you receive the inheritance that He has for you. So what Scripture teaches, if we go to the past, the present, or into the future, everywhere we go, male and female in Scripture are treated as equal before God. Husbands and wives are equal before God. So whatever we do with this word submission, to approach the Bible with a sense that it somehow is communicating uh, inf inferiority or inequality, is ignoring what Scripture actually says. I think a second reason that we misunderstand this idea of submission is because we have a tendency, I think, to kind of camp out on the woman's role, but kind of brush right past the man's. Now, I make that second point, and I can't, you know, I can't prove that. Every pastor that's ever preached on this has done that. Every Sunday school lesson ever done. Everything you might have ever read, this is what's happened. I can't prove that's the case, or that's always been the case. But I think a lot of times that's the feel. That, that the woman has this heavy, difficult, hard responsibility. We, we, well, we spell out what submission means. It means the man's right, you're wrong, you've got to follow, you've got to obey. That's just the way it is, deal with it. Oh, and you husbands, yeah, you, know, you love your wife, yeah, you know, just like you do the NFL and a good round of golf and your easy chair. You need to love her. You know, well, no, wait a minute. Man, it sounds like the women got the short end of that stick, doesn't it? Well, first of all, ladies, let me tell you this. I promise you, 
We will not brush past the man's role next week. Now, you've got to get him back here, but I promise you I'll hit him right between the eyes, okay? We're going to talk about what the man's role in the marriage is. But now, I will say this right now. Is God's call on a wife difficult? Absolutely. It's very difficult to submit. You have to remember, this whole passage starts off, Ephesians 5.21, saying we are all to submit to one another. Submit to somebody else's needs. Submit to somebody else's weaknesses. Man, we don't want to do that. Most significant, important thing in my life is me. I'm not submitting to somebody else. Submission is difficult. The call on a wife is a challenge. That's not easy. What we're also going to see, though, is the call on the man's life, the call on the husband, is equally challenging and equally difficult. The key word for the wife is submission. The key word for the man is sacrifice. He lays down his life. Both challenging. And you know what both words give the husband and the wife an opportunity to do? To understand just how much God loves them. Because Jesus did both of these things. He submitted and he sacrificed And it's in loving our mate that we sometimes have our best opportunity. Let me rephrase that. It's when we're loving our mate when they are most unworthy of being loved like that. That is sometimes our best opportunity to understand just how much Jesus loves us. So we we need to look at both roles. Third reason I think we misunderstand uh, submission is because we don't understand history. And what do I mean by that? First of all, I made this exact same point last time we were together. And I'm not trying to be repetitive. And, and, I, and I'm not trying to raise this one point up above all other points. But sometimes you have to treat sermons as standalones. You know, I don't know that you were here last time. This may be the only one you hear. And this point fits in very well here. Because quite often what the world will tell you is that the Bible and Christianity degrade women. We do have this Neanderthal view of women. Is that true? Practically speaking, it's not. Because the fact is, society does degrade women. The fact is, religion degrades women. As a matter of fact, I would come close to saying all religions degrade women. But I don't know that for a fact. But I know I'm close to saying almost all religions do that, save one, Christianity. And if you find a culture... If you find a nation where women are treated with equality, where women are given rights, you will always, 100% of the time, find a nation that has been significantly touched by Christianity and the Bible. Only where Christianity and the Bible have been are women treated with equality. So you can't make this case that, that the Bible, that Christianity, does this to women. It doesn't. Practically speaking, it has not done that. Now, some would say, now, now, wait a minute. I've seen a preacher. I've seen a husband. I've seen somebody use the Bible to push women down, to degrade women. Yeah, I have too. As a matter of fact, I've seen men and women do a lot of things with the Bible to justify their evil. The problem is not God's commands. The problem is not the Bible. The problem is sinners who pick up the Bible and misapply it to serve their own sin. The problem is not Scripture. It's sinners. That kind of leads right to the fourth problem. The fourth reason we misunderstand submission is because we don't understand what the problem is. The problem in marriage is not what God calls a man or a woman to do in His Word. The problem in marriage is sin. And there is a particularly male sin. There is a particularly female sin. And we see that outlined in Genesis chapter 3. Do you remember what happened there? That's when Adam and Eve said, you know what? We don't need the Lord. 
We can do this our own way. We're going to follow our own rules. And they went and ate from the one tree on the planet God told them not to eat from. The one place they showed they were going to follow him. They said, no, we're not going to follow him. We're going to do our own thing. And so then the rest of Genesis chapter 3, God begins to outline the consequences. Okay? You wanted sin. Let me warn you. Let me prepare you. This is what it's going to mean to your life. This is how it's going to show up in the different areas of your life. And in Genesis 3.16, he says, this is how this sin is going to impact your marriage. This is how it's going to impact your intimacy. And he says in Genesis 3.16, Eve, your desire, wives, your desire will be for your husband, but you husbands, you Adam, will dominate her. Now, what does that mean? You know, look at that verse. Your desire will be for your husband. I know husbands think, oh man, yeah, the Bible says right there, my, my wife's going to have the hots for me. Well, it, it, it doesn't mean that. You can pray it does, but that's not what that verse means. What that verse means is, as a matter of fact, you get a better understanding of that word desire when we go into Genesis chapter 4. Uh, God is warning Cain and says, "Your de- Satan's desire is for you. That word there has the idea of mastery over In other words, now Eve is going to begin to compete and fight for the position of Adam in the home. God created her to be a help. God created her to be a support. Now she's going to become a competitor. God gave Adam a position in the home of loving leader. But he's going to pick up that position of leadership and now he's going to use it to serve his selfishness. Now he's going to use it to dominate or to rule over her. Folks, I promise you under no circumstances is competition and domination ever going to result in intimacy. Competition will never result in the husband and the marriage that you want. Domination and ruling over is never going to result in the wife or the marriage that you want. So God, now follow me here, God in His kindness, God in His goodness then comes to the marriage and He says, let's fix this. Let's get this sin broken and let's get this thing going in the right direction. So He says to the wife in Ephesians 5.22, instead of competing... Submit. He comes to the husband in Ephesians 5.25 and he says, instead of dominating, lovingly serve, lovingly lead. So you see, folks, these commands that we might struggle with, these commands, wonder what kind of Neanderthal God would say this. No, it's his kindness, his goodness. He is showing us how to break the cycle of sin in our lives and in our marriage. He's showing us how to arrive at intimacy. So let's wrap up this section of the sermon by saying what submission is not. Let's be very clear about this. Submission is not saying that wives are second class citizens, they're doormats or they're inferior. You cannot get that anywhere in Scripture. Submission does not mean, ladies, wives, that you don't have any ideas, that you don't have any opinions. Submission doesn't mean you can't be right. Sometimes you get the idea, submit means I don't, I don't ever have an idea and I can't possibly be right. It's, it's his idea and he's right. That's not what submission is talking about. Submission does not mean you disobey the Lord in order to serve your husband or to submit to your husband. I get that question a lot. My husband wants me to do this with him. I've twice had somebody ask me, my husband wants me to smoke pot with him. You know, should I do that? Would, that? would I be submitting to my husband to do that? No. No, because you would be joining your husband in sin. You'd be joining your, something that, your husband in something that takes him out of fellowship with God. You don't want to submit. That's not loving. You don't submit to something where your husband is sinning against you. That's not what the passage is talking about. 
Uh, so again, that idea, just go over there and take your bidding, beating under a sense of submission. That's not what submission is calling you to. Submission does not mean, ladies, that you have no leadership in the home. As a matter of fact, 1 Timothy 5.14 says that the wife is the manager of the household. You know what's funny about that word manager? In the Greek language, it's the word despot. That's like a tyrannical ruler. I guess that's mom in a really, really bad mood that day. Now, I don't think the Scripture is calling her there a tyrannical ruler, but I think what it is saying is she does lead in that sense. And you know what? Functionally speaking, I think most of us probably know exactly what that looks like. When the ship is running well, quite often it's because of mom's hand. She's organizing all these lives. She's getting them out the door. She's getting them back in. She's fixing. She's sewing. She's bandaging. She's helping. She's building. And then she starts it all over and sends us all back out again. Quite often it is mom keeping the ship afloat in that sense. She's the manager of the household. So submission is not saying all those things that the world says that it is. Okay, so now that hopefully, hopefully we've got an idea of what submission is not and why we misunderstand it, let's go ahead and see what it is. Would you turn with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, continuing our study of this great letter of Paul to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians 5, verse 22. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, I hope you'll grab one there in the pew and open it up and read along with us. Ephesians 5, verse 22. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Well, there it is. Sure enough, the pastor wasn't making it up. Now, remember, as you read that, what in Paul? Paul penned it, but it's not his words. It's not Paul's words. It's not Jews' words. It's not another culture's words. These are God's words. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. He's Savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, that word submit is actually a military term. And it means to line up according to rank or to be under the authority of. I think it's very important we understand what the meaning of that word is because the word, there's another word for submission that can have the idea of like, you know, when a nation comes and conquers another nation... And then they take all the inhabitants and they're now submitted to them. They're under the rule of that nation. That's not what this is talking about. This is not talking about husbands conquering wives, imprisoning wives. That's not what this is referring to. This is a voluntary thing. We see it in the army all the time. There's colonels and there's sergeants. and And there is a function. There's an order. It's not talking about the status, the worth of somebody, but rather the function. And you've got all these different ranks. And for the organization to work... For it to work most effectively and like it should, everybody voluntarily chooses to yield, to submit to these different ranks and to live in that light. Wives, the Lord has squarely placed the responsibility of the home on your husband's shoulders. He is the leader of the home. This is where men like to say, well, that's right, we're leader of the home. I've been waiting for you to say that. Let me tell you what that means. It may not be quite as exciting as you thought. What it means when, we, when God says you're the leader of the home, that means when you die and you go to heaven and you stand before God, you will not only stand there for yourself, you will have to stand there for the entire well-being of that family. You see, God told your wife, my gosh, why? He told your wife to submit. 
you're going to be held accountable for whether you created an environment where it was easy for her to follow the Lord. He told your children to honor and obey you. Father, husband, you're responsible for whether you created an environment where they could do that. He commanded this whole entire family to know the Lord and serve the Lord. Husband, you're the leader and sing that your family does that. And you will stand before God and be held accountable for every bit of it. That's what it means to be leader of the home. And the good news is we don't have to stand there all by ourselves. Because that's kind of frightening to think I'm responsible for all that. So God created this wonderful thing called a wife. To come alongside and to be a support and to be a help. And we together create this home. We together create this environment that serves the Lord. I like how Ed Young, he wrote a book called Romancing the Home. I like this quote of how he describes uh, submission. He says, marriage is not a business arrangement where the husband holds 51% of the stock and the wife holds 49%. It is a one flesh relationship where both parties confer, fully expressing their opinions, ideas and desires. More often than not, there is agreement either initially or eventually. But when there is not, someone must make the call. This responsibility is the man's. And when the decision is made, the wife, if she is subject, if she is submissive to her husband, supports that decision. Right or wrong, good or bad, she says, I'm with you to the end. You've decided I will Follow. Now, Paul goes on to further explain, to further help ladies get a picture of what this might look at. And you see in the passage here, he says, now, wives, as you submit to your husband, that should look something like what we think of when the church submits to Christ. So if we want to get a picture of how that relationship should look, we look at the church and we look at Christ. Now, what does the church do to Christ? Well, the church follows Christ. The church obeys Christ. The church trusts Christ. Now, do we do that because we always like everything Christ does? Well, we're in church, so we're going to say yes. But the truth is, no, we don't. I don't like it when Christ tells me to forgive that person. No, no, I'm not going to forgive them. They're bad. They haven't changed. They'll hurt me again. I'm not going to first. See, I don't like Christ telling me at that moment. But you know what I do? I submit. You submit. We trust, we obey, and we follow. So wives, you don't always understand. Maybe you don't always like what your husband says. But you trust, you obey, and you follow. Now, here's the rub. Here's the hard part. Why do I trust and obey and follow Christ? Because He's good. Is the husband always good? Yeah. Yeah. How about this? We trust and obey and follow Christ because I know beyond a shadow of doubt that Christ always has my best interest at heart. Does the husband always have the wife's best interest at heart? Hmm. I can speak for this husband. I've not always had Karen's best interest at heart. You know, I've made decisions that had only me and what I wanted. No, I didn't didn't have her best interest at heart at all. You know what? I can trust Christ because Christ is always right. Wives, can you trust your husband because he's always right? You say, now wait a minute, Paul, you said, okay, now, as the wife submits to the husband, it should look just like the church submits to Christ. But wait a minute, it's not equal. The wife can't trust her husband like the church can trust Christ. But you know what? This isn't about the worthiness of the husband. 
You see, wives, submission is not a tool that God has given husbands over you. It's a tool He's given you. See, you think, sometimes I think we look at this idea of submission, and it's like one day we had a big man meeting with God. You know, God and the men, we got together. How are we going to pull the wool over these ladies' eyes? And God said, I, I got it. I got it. Y'all go back there. Tell them, I said to obey you in everything. Oh, that's cool, God. And so we came running back down to earth. Hey, you got to submit. He said so. His idea. No. Submission is not a gift God gave to men. Submission is something God gave to ladies. Not because the men are always right. Not because they're always trustworthy. Not because they have your best interest at heart. But rather, submission is the way to get the best possible husband that you want. Now, I would love to say that will work every time, but it won't. As a matter of fact, I can go through verse after verse, passage after passage, and here's how people should respond when we do the right things. (laughs) But I think we all know people don't always respond like they should, do we? They don't always do what they should do when we do the right things. But here's the question. What is your best chance to get the husband to get the marriage that you want? God is saying, listen, I promise you right now, you're competing with him and fighting him will never, ever, ever get you the marriage or the husband that you want. But if you will submit, see, he's telling you, ladies, here's how you will get the husband your best opportunity to get the husband that you want. You know, on those on occasions when Karen has submitted, I mean, in the truest sense of the term, I, we were doing something, we were making a decision. It is not what she wanted. It's not what she thought. It's not what she really felt comfortable with. But she yielded the floor. I tell you what, when I see that genuinely happen, it scares me. And it really makes me slow down and think about what is it I'm doing? Why am I asking this of her? It will sensitize your husband's heart towards you. Will it do it all the time? No, it won't. It hadn't done it all the time for me. Will it? Okay, okay. so if I submit to him, like say what, like eight times, will that do it? Well, but what about for eight months? Okay, well, what if I do it for eight years? Gosh, that's a long time. To submit without ever seeing any change? I don't know. I know it's your best opportunity to break the cycle of sin in your marriage. I know it's your best opportunity to arrive at intimacy. I know it is your best opportunity to get the marriage and the husband that you want. It's to submit, not to compete. Paul goes on further and lastly, and you see down at the very end of this whole passage, Ephesians 5.33, the last phrase of the last sentence, he says, wives, respect your husband. Here again, God is not saying because he's respectable, because he's worthy of it. He's saying, wives, listen, I know how they're designed. I know how they're wired. If you want to get to the heart of your husband, if you want to get the husband that you want, you need to respect him. You know what your, your husband's basic need is? He wants to feel like Tarzan somewhere. We never got over that movie. We want to be king of some jungle somewhere. And we need a Jane to come along and tell us, man, you are Tarzan. You know, you are woo. That's the need in our life. And let me tell you something. It is closely tied with a second primary need of sexual fulfillment. Because men sometimes have a tendency, unfortunately, to define, well, almost everything on the planet by sex. And if we do not feel sexually desired, 
There's no possible way then anything else you do is going to make us feel respected. These two things go together. Now, I can, I can hear the conversation among the ladies on the way to the car today. There will be, a, there'll be a, a ladies meeting at one o'clock in the parking lot. And I can hear, I, I know what you're going to say. He said, you know, I've known all my life that men were shallow, but now I've heard it from the pulpit. They are t- Tarzan and sex. Boy, just golly. Okay, you know what? I won't even debate that today. Not even going to debate how shallow we are. Here's the question. Would you submit to that? Would you submit to that need, that that way that we are designed? Would you serve that? Silly, shallow. But what if it's your best opportunity to produce the husband and the marriage that you want? Now, we're... We're late. We're late into the even, into the morning and into the sermon. And there's two very significant questions I've not answered. Let me try to answer them very quickly. First question: What about the unworthy husband? Now, I, I do got to take a little side note here. Leave the unworthy husband for a moment and say something to our youth, and say something to all of our singles. Because you know, when we do family series, husband and wife series, you know that, that that's for the husband, that's for the wife. And, and if you're a single, if you're a youth, you know it's nap time. This isn't for me. I don't know how many times I have preached these kinds of sermons and somebody comes up to me and says, if I would have heard this ten years ago, if I'd have heard this in the beginning, if I'd have heard this before. Let me tell you something, young people. When you say yes to a date, one date leads to a second date. And a second date leads to a third date. And third dates sometimes lead to I do somewhere along down the road. And the time for you to be understanding what a husband and a wife are to do is right now. It's right now. You need to watch that man's life. You need to watch how he relates with people. Is this the kind of person you could one day use to yield yourself to? Use, choose to submit. Because see, there's a lot of wives out here that are very, very, very much struggling with that. And you know what? Their husband was unworthy when they married him. And they chose then... To ignore some of the things God had said. And now they're trying to come back around and figure out how they obey God in a very difficult marriage. They don't have a choice now. You do. Choose now to understand what goes into a marriage. Choose now what's to be in a husband and a wife. And be thinking, young ladies, is this somebody, as I watch him relate in his world, that I'd want to submit my life to? Now, back to the unworthy husbands. doesn't matter if he's worthy or unworthy. You're not going to submit because of what your husband is like. Look back here again at Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit to your own husbands. What? As to the Lord. See, your husband is not the motivation for what you're doing. The Lord. The Lord is your motivation for what you're doing. Yes, it's a lot easier to be motivated by the Lord when the husband is good. And there are some horrible husbands. Not out there in the world, right in here. There are some horrible husbands that will make submission a living hell. That's bad. 
But the only way you can keep walking with and following the Lord and giving yourself your best opportunity in the marriage is not to be focused on how worthy or unworthy he is, but on how worthy the Lord Jesus Christ is. And you know what? As I said a moment ago, he too submitted and it cost his life. So in your submission, ladies, is your particular way to best understand how deeply loved by Christ you were. How deeply loved by Christ you are. So, the husband's not the issue. We focus on the Lord. Secondly, remember, submission is a tool for us, ladies, not the men. That's your tool to get to the best husband. Second question, what about the husband who won't lead? Let me give you three things to do because there's an abundance of husbands who will not lead. Number one, pray. God changes the heart, not you. Pray for them. Secondly, encourage. Now, courage takes you right back to prayer. Because there is a... Encourage and nagging are synonymous. You know that, don't you? They're, 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 they just go hand in hand. And I promise you, you will never get anything out of that husband by nagging. So what's the difference between nagging and encouraging? I don't know. You better pray about it. Ask God for wisdom to know when you cross the line from encouragement to nagging. Usually when he's backing up into a corner and shutting down, you know, I've just crossed the line. Pray, encourage, and the third thing is wait. Wait on him to lead. I've heard, I've seen wives say, I want my husband to be the leader of our home. And she says, honey, here's a decision. We need to do this. I'm going to wait on you to lead. And they do wait. Sometimes they wait two, three, four milliseconds before they jump right in and go on with the decision, making it themselves. Men are slow. We're going to deal with this problem next week. Ladies, if you want him to lead, wait until he does it. Now, here's the challenge. Wait, even if it means the decision doesn't get made. Wait, even if it means something goes wrong. Wait until the point that he gets up and does what God has called him to do. Pray, encourage, and wait. The bottom line is, submission works. Submission will show you how much Jesus Christ loves you. Submission is your best path and your function in the marriage to getting to intimacy. Submission is how you help break the cycle of sin. And submission is your best opportunity to get the husband that you want. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and quite often when we open your word, it is, it is beyond us. It is difficult, Lord. And, and I'm so grateful for the order of things here in Ephesians 5. Because a couple of weeks ago we studied Ephesians 5.18. Where, Lord, you provided for us the power of the Holy Spirit. Because, Lord, we don't have it in us to obey you as a husband, as a wife, as a follower of Jesus Christ. We don't have the power, we don't have the wisdom in us to faithfully, to consistently, to do that in the hard times. Ah, but when we let you fill us, when we let the Holy Spirit control our lives, we do gain the ability to follow after you. Lord, I pray. I pray that, that these words would encourage and challenge our marriages in here. And Lord, I pray that as these wives seek to follow You and be motivated by You, God, I pray that husbands all over this place are being broken, are being sensitized to their wives' following of You. God, I pray that both would arrive at intimacy in the marriage that they want. 
God, let us see how easily we are bombarded by the lies of the world, the false messages of the world that tell us that that marriage, that happiness is in some other picture than the one you've given us. Would you give us the courage, the faith to go after the design, the pattern that you gave us, God? We want our marriages to show our children. We want our marriages to show the world the difference that Jesus Christ can make. Even, even in the hard times. Oh Lord, we need your help. I pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.